You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you guys. This is my beautiful wife, Leslie. Everybody say hi, Leslie. Hi, Leslie. Yeah, we feel like we're in an AA meeting, but thankfully we're not. Okay, so um, we are going to do this gather event today, and uh, we're going to have lunch together. And so that's going to be a lot of fun. So those of you that are new, um, I've got the Duck Dynasty family together. Will you guys stand together for me real quick? So everybody stand up. Sam and Riley, come on. All right. So we're glad to have our our family here. We're excited. No, they're not really on Duck Dynasty, but they look like it. So Uh, we're excited to have you guys here. And special thanks to this family. They help support uh, Leslie and I through getting out here, moving west, and starting this church. And so I want to invite you to be a part of that. Today, after third service, we're going to share the story of how we started the church. And then lunch is going to be provided. We call it barbecue, but it's not really barbecue. It's just hot dogs and hamburgers. And uh, we're going to do that in here and then go from there. So that'll be fun. We'll share the story, kind of walk through some of the purpose statement, the doctrinal statement at at a high level, and uh, invite you to be a part of that. So... Anyway, and then we're doing missions trip, and so I've got my wife up here. She has played a key role in just kind of jumping into any ministry area need to fill the gaps. So why don't you share with them a little bit about what we do on spring break and many families that have joined us to do and build a house. So we are going to Mexico this March 18th through the 21st. Our family, we're taking the kids, and we would love for you guys to join us. We're going to go down there and build a house. Um, we have an information meeting next Sunday after church. Lunch will be provided if you want to hear more details, and Sunday, February 14th. So, Steve Sutton, one of our elders, is on the board of the mission agency we're going with, I-68. And um, Scott and his wife moved to Mexico to start the agency. His parents go to church here. So we know and trust the people that we're going down there to serve with. And I talked to Scott a couple weeks ago, and the border is wide open. Thousands of people are already vacationing down there, but nobody's doing missions. So we would love for you to prayerfully consider joining us. Going to Mexico might be a step of faith for you, but I think that's a good thing. God wants us to walk in faith. So that's really, really cool. And so we're taking our whole family, like little Maya Bear and the rest of the kids, and then we're going. Yeah. And registration is online. There's more details about pricing and everything if you want to check that out. And there's a number of families that are already uh, planning on going. And so this event, uh, this, this, uh, this ministry or this mission event is really not as organized as we have done in times past just because... We are like in an evolving, changing stuff all the time. And so with this, I'd just say, just come talk to Leslie or I. And again, next week after the third service is the, is the uh, informational, informational meeting. meeting. Yeah. Okay, and it'll be and right here. organized, I think. Okay, good. <laughs> so that's great. That's why you are here. That's so wonderful. Um, and then I would just say, just as a rule of thumb at North Valley, don't eat a lot of hamburgers and hot dogs uh, on Saturday or Sunday night, because we're going to feed you on Sunday afternoon the same thing over and over again. So uh, that is, that, that's what we're going to have that, for that lunch, right? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Uh, thank you very much. Will you guys give Leslie a big round of applause? She's been incredible. She's, a, she's been a huge ministry uh, support. She... Uh, she served uh, within kids. She served within in the women's ministry. She served as an executive assistant here. And she's just kind of just said to me, I'll do whatever, you know, take, put me in, take me out, move me around. I'm here to serve. And so that's been incredible. And really, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, in your Bibles, you can open it, open it up. We're in a series called uh, One Hit Wonders. And so after service, you'll hear the One Hit Wonder songs. Uh, uh, I think today is Don't Worry, Be Happy, Bobby McFerrin. I didn't know that was a one-hit wonder, but apparently it is. Uh, we did Vanilla Ice one week. That was a lot of fun. Everybody knows that was a one-hit wonder. Um, but today we're looking at one-hit wonders in the Bible, uh, just one-chapter books of the Bible, the book of Third John. So go to your table of contents in the front. Uh, those of you that are a little bit uh, just need some help to find it because it's not easy to find. 
It's a one page, it's a personal letter. There's only two little uh, letters in the New Testament that are personal letters to an individual. Uh, this is one of those. It's written by the Apostle John, who's a beloved uh, disciple, one of Jesus' closest, nearest, and dearest friends. And uh, John is the oldest living apostle, and he's writing uh, to a gentleman by the name of Gaius. And Gaius is a good guy. He's a really good guy. And so we're going to look at that, but the title of this message is called Busting Church Myths. How many of you guys have ever seen Mythbusters, that TV show? That was really cool. I really liked that. I think it went on for about a decade of some of the most creative television uh, shows about busting myths. They did one, I remember, escaping Alcatraz, and they actually escaped. And nobody, everybody says, you couldn't escape. They, well, they did. And they reenacted the couple that supposedly escaped, and, and they, they were able to do that. Another one was about duct tape. And where I'm from in Arkansas, duct tape is, you know, you can fix anything with duct tape. <laughs> And uh, they did a show one time where they, did, they, 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 they made these hammocks and, and, and uh, so like a survival island thing only with duct tape. They did it. They did another one with uh, Mentos and Diet Coke and will it explode? And, you know, but they busted these myths. And today we're going to bust a couple of church myths. And how we're going to do that is we're going to look at uh, kind of a case study, a personal letter from the Apostle John Who's a, who's a grandpa at this point in time. He survived Nero, Caesar, uh, the Caesar Nero, and then he survived Dominician. And he's kind of un, off the grid, uh, under the radar. And Christianity at this point in time of this writing is begun to be from sporadic persecution through the Roman Empire to systematic. So people have already lost their head literally, for being a Christian. Uh, Peter's been crucified upside down already. And John's kind of the last living voice of an apostolic leader. Churches have grown all throughout the Roman Empire. They're, They're taken off. And John is serving as this leader, but he's again off the grid, under the radar, most scholars believe he was in Ephesus, and when we receive this letter, it's a personal letter. There's only two personal letters in the New Testament written to an individual. They believe that he wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, like all together. And a gentleman by the name of Demetrius perhaps is the courier. He's the one who delivers it. But this letter stands for us as a bit of a case study and it highlights Christian hospitality and service and kind of applauds a gentleman by the name of uh, Gaius for living out this Christian faith and being hospitable towards other people and ministries and ministers. And then it kind of, it shows the destructive force of a gentleman who is a Christian who's messing up the church by the name of Diotrephes. So don't name your kid Diotrephes. That's not a good name. Um, So he's going to highlight these two. There's kind of a comparison and a contrast in this personal letter. Good guy, Gaius. Bad guy, Diotrephes. So let's jump in and we'll read it. Uh, We'll read the whole book so you can tell everybody, I read a book of the Bible today. And uh, next week, we're going to do another book. So we we can just crank through through these books. They're one-hit wonders. So here we go. It says in verse 1 of uh, 3 John. He's writing, this is an ancient letter, and he puts his name first. We usually put our name last and say sincerely whatever are our names. And he says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And that's a pretty normal kind of introduction. Like we say, hey, how you? we hope that you're doing well, hope your family's well, hope everybody's healthy and happy and everything's going good. And John cares about the mental, the emotional, the spiritual well-being of Gaius. He's a good guy. Verse 3, he says, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. And he's referring, because John's kind of like grandpa, so he's like kind of a father of the faith. He's, he's been around a bit. 
And so what's been happening is folks have been um, ministers of the gospel, have been uh, going around and kind of encouraging churches, kind of like traveling evangelists, if you will, but they're, they're good people. There's been a, a lot of uh, folks that have been traveling around to different churches and encouraging them. And Gaius is in charge of a church, and he's, he's welcomed them. And John's heard good report, and it says this in verse 5. He said, Beloved, so he cares a lot about Gaius. He says, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. In other words, thanks for doing what you're doing. You do it day in. You do it day out. You do it when nobody's looking. And look what he says, strangers as they are. So what was going on is that uh, Gaius is a good guy, and he's opening up his doors in a sense for strangers, people that are genuine believers, care for the church. And he opens the doors and says, I want to be hospitable. I want to be caring. Hospitable literally means like helping strangers is what it actually means. The word hospitable. Um, at my household right now, um, since we've got all our family here, I've got uh, Sam in the closet, sleeping on the closet, Maya on the floor, uh, brother John on the floor in the other, in, in, in Maya's room. And the, our house is like, you, you'll step on a body, you know? if you're not careful. And I was woken up probably at three or four o'clock. I mean, it's just a noisy little household. And I'll tell you this, it's easy to be hospitable towards people you love. It's hard as a believer to be hospitable towards people that you don't really know that well. What the mark of true Christianity and healthiness in this Christian life is, can you go to that level can you, can you love somebody when you don't even really know them that well, but you're connected to their mission, you're connected to their service, you know they genuinely love the Lord, and John's saying, good job, Gaius, you're a good guy. But there's something going on, maybe there's another leader in the church that doesn't like Gaius, and he's a kind of a control freak. And so John's going to address this because he has apostolic authority, I mean, he speaks Bible. John does. I mean, when he speaks, it's Bible. And so here's what he says. He says, uh, verse six, he says, who testified to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on their journey in a matter, manner worthy of God. Uh, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. That name is Jesus's name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but... Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Some scholars believe that actually when um, the, a letter was written that we don't have in our Bible, that Diotrephes intercepted it, tore it up, and didn't want anybody to see it. Uh, Diotrephes rejected the authority of, 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 of John. I mean, John was a living witness to Jesus Christ. And so if the apostle John, who was the most beloved of the disciples on the inner three, Peter, James, and John, were the closest connected to Jesus, John's writing and he says, this guy Diotrephes in your church, he likes himself. He puts himself first. He, he doesn't acknowledge our authority. So it, verse 10, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. In other words, I'm going to tell the church about it because this guy's a destructive force in your church. So if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And, and not, not, not uh, with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want, want to and puts them out of the church. In other words, if you were caught helping other people that needed hospitality, and you were in Diotrephes, the, the church that he was at, he would try to kick you out, and you couldn't even be a part of it. And so, verse 11, he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, this is a new guy. This is not the same guys that we've been talking about. He says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. And from the truth itself, and we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So who is Demetrius? Most people believe that this is the guy who actually carried the letters for John. 
And he was a guy perhaps that was traveling around to different churches and saying like, man, I just spent time with John, Grandpa John. He, he's the one who was with Jesus. He saw him. He, he, he knows him very well. He, he wrote the gospel of John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, and now he's writing 3 John. And he'll be the one who writes Revelation from the island of Patmos. And so Demetrius is a good guy, should be received in verse 13 in closing out. He said, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. We will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. John's personal. John's relational. John wants to make sure that the church understands that it needs to be about relationships and it needs to engage in be hospitable towards people that are coming through. And the last thing we want to do in a church is to slow down the mission and the story and the glory of Jesus and what he offers people. And this gentleman by the name of Diotrephes, he's a problem. So let me compare and contrast the two uh, individuals. And uh, the first is, is Gaius. Gaius is the first individual that we read about. Gaius, his name actually means rejoice. So he, he is somebody to rejoice. That's a good thing. And uh, he's a disciple, meaning he's a follower of Jesus. And like he, he's a disciple, he, he literally loves Jesus, lives for Jesus, studies and learns and grows in truth, according to the Apostle John. He's Christ-centered. Jesus Christ takes the priority and the precedence in his life. He, he's not a, a self-centered, but he's Jesus-centered. Um, he also, he's a helper of the gospel. He, he wants to make sure that the gospel message is going to continue to go forth and go out. And you look through history and you see that this gospel message was being threatened by other competing voices. Of, and that's where we get, uh, I've said to you before, but there were others that were kind of trying to write a different storyline about Jesus. And this is where you get the Gnostic gospels, or you've maybe seen the movie, The Da Vinci Code, and there's all these other competing little messages that were going on. Well, there was two responsibilities for the early church, and it was first to propagate truth, to get it out, and second, to preserve it. And so there's some preservation that needs to happen here. Uh, Diotrephes is kind of twisting a, a different style of Christianity that's exclusive. And so Gaius is a helper of the gospel who contributed to the church. He contributed financially. He contributed with his service. He was all in. And then you've got a comparison, somebody else that is Diotrephes. And literally his name means, Diotrephes' name means fed by Zeus. And Zeus is the, the thunder god and the lightning god. And this morning at three or four o'clock in the morning, I hear lightning. And I'm like, uh-oh, Diotrephes is mad. I'm going to be preaching against him today. Uh, so this guy he actually calls himself a Christian. And he's very, not Christ-centered, but very self-centered. It's all about him. He's hyper-controlling. And he's not a help to the gospel. He's actually a hindrance to the gospel. He's that person that you wish that didn't call themselves Christian because you know of the destruction in the the, 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 the name of Jesus gets thrown into the mud when this guy says, I'm a Christian. This is the guy you wish he didn't have the little fish on his bumper. This is the guy that you just say, could you just leave Jesus out of this, man? Leave our church out of this. You're a destructive force. Like, are you saved? I don't know, really, but you sure don't act like it. And he's a hindrance to the gospel, and he actually used the church for his personal gain. And we've seen this before, and especially in American uh, church and televangelism, they just kind of use religion as a platform to get what they want. And uh, he's not humble. He uses the church. And so um, there are very two different mentalities uh, that we see here uh, uh, where Gaius contributed to the church. Diotrephes uses the church for his own personal gain. 
And so what I'd say is there's two different mentalities about the church in American culture right now um, that we w- should pay a little of attention to. These are kind of uh, mentalities that I have kind of come up with on my own to kind of help categorize and help uh, communicate kind of what I've seen in my last, uh, I'd say, eight years in Phoenix, eight and a half years of starting North Valley of two different, very different mentalities. And my prayer is, is that we would have the mentality like Gaius, that we're going to be helpers of the gospel. We're going to contribute. We're not going to use the church. We want to be a part of the church. But, but these two different mentalities, I think they'll be familiar to us because of the culture that we live in. Uh, the first mentality that I would say is the church is like a country club. And I love country clubs. I mean, when I was down in Dallas, I lived uh, uh, on a country club. My uncle went out of town and said, uh, hey, I'm over in Europe. Uh, he was an IT consultant. You, you take the house for a period of time, which was like, I mean, I was feeling like I was a high roller in seminary. I'm like living on a country club. I didn't know how to golf, but he had a golf bag there in the deal. And it was a par three, nine hole golf course. And I was like, this is cool. And I'm like, just enjoying it, Right. And then maybe you're a part of a country club, or maybe you visit a country club, but it's a dangerous thing when you think of the church like a country club. This is not the country club of the valley, North Valley. We're not like that at all. But the first, let me just tell you the mentality of a country club is this. You ask these questions if you visit a country club, especially if you're going to pay some membership fees, is you ask the question, do they have enough amenities to enjoy Fair question. Do they have a high-quality restaurant or pool or other activities? Do the employees serve me promptly? Were my needs well met? Were my kids well entertained? Was the service prompt and professional? Did I feel refreshed when I left the country club? Did I, did I, is, is the membership really worth it? Is it worth it? All that I pay, is it worth it? Or was there a wow factor? That's what we hear a lot. And there's nothing wrong with that, but if you apply that into the church, there's a big problem. Uh, another mentality that I'd like to highlight is the idea that the, the church is kind of like a family business. Questions if you visit a family business, maybe you know folks that are running their business and their family operation, and you might ask these questions, does this business have a plan? Like, What's the plan for the business? Uh, Do they have a clear, noble purpose in what they're doing and trying to accomplish? Do they understand the unique strengths about their business? Is there buy-in and tangible ownership at all levels of the employees? In other words, you know a a family business is going to work if there's buy-in all across the board. At least it's got a better chance, right? And are they well-trained? Do they know their role? Do the employees respect the managers? Does the business understand the industry it's in? Is there a clear sense of community and mission in that business? Do the people know the story of how the family business started and the sacrifices that were made? And Do the employees serve the customers well? Do the employees recruit and train others to partner with them? Is the business making a difference? And what I would argue is if we were to pick and choose on these two illustrations of the church, the country club mentality of church or the family business mentality, I would say the family business mentality would work a lot better. And so the church, although it's not a business, it it in a sense ought to be run better than a business. See, uh, we're not selling products, but we are providing a service, an essential service. We are in the service industry as a church, you and me. See, we are servants of Jesus Christ, and we're called to serve by sharing and showing the love of Jesus Christ to the world around us. That's our job. That's the job that we have. See, God is like our Father who owns the business. And Jesus is the big brother who makes sure that we're always good with Dad. We're we're always good with Dad. We can come to Dad any time because Jesus... And then, see, the Holy Spirit, he's the helper. He's the consultant. And he guides and he moves and he helps the 
Family business continue to move along from generation to generation, no matter what setbacks, problems, pandemics, or politics may plague the time frame. The Holy Spirit's constantly pouring itself out into the lives of believers. And see, you and me are brothers and sisters. We've been adopted into this partnership, the partnership of this grand and noble vision and mission of God that we're to partner together as a family, brothers and sisters through Christ, for God's work. Some people have said that, you know, what is the chief end of man? It was the Westminster Catechism that was written, again, to preserve historical truth throughout church history. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What's the purpose of living? It's to glorify God. So we have a responsibility. Uh, I say partnership because uh, we're not just customers. Uh, It's a family business. We are servants. And there is a partnership with each other that we have a responsibility, not only to the local church, but to the big church all around the world. That's why you'll never find me bashing other churches because those are other families. And what I say oftentimes is, look, Hey, listen, if you're going to get on stage, I'm going to do your interview, and you, you know I know you don't like that other church, don't talk about them. Because my guess is, is that somebody at that church loves that church, and you had a bad experience. And that's a family. And when people come here from other churches, I tell them, be cautious, be careful, because I know church is like a family. And when you come over, I don't want you just cutting ties with your other church, like those, unless it's a good transition, and you had the family discussion. So are there customers in the church? Sure, in a sense, you could say maybe the visitors, folks that visit our church are like church shopping, right? I mean, that's fair. They come and people are looking, and is this the church? And I hear it all the time. We were church shopping, And they compare this message to that message, this worship set to this worship set, this program to this program. And, you know, to me, I'm like, just pick and choose. It's okay. And we try really hard. We have guest services and we do a great job, but we make sure that people don't stay in the customer mentality, but a partnership mentality. And so what is my role? My role, in a sense, is like a manager. I just want to help manage. I'm a steward. And our staff do the same thing, and we want to steward resources, and we want to help staff move forward and take significant ownership in this partnership mentality. And I have accountability and a leadership team that we call elders, and they expect me to lead, and they expect me to help guide our church, and we set goals, and we review, and we evaluate, and we make improvements. And so here's what I'd like to say is that there are still some myths that I think that need to be busted. Number one is, first of all, if we're going to get this this mentality of the family business model, in a sense, we need to understand first and foremost this powerful truth, changed my life, is that God doesn't exist to serve us, we exist to serve God. And what that means is that my whole soul existence, whether I'm a pastor or just an ordinary person, why am I here? I'm here to serve God. But if we twist it, and we start thinking that we are like our church and our Christianity is like a country club, then God exists to serve me. And all the Christians and all the churches exist to serve me. That's not the church that we're after. That's not the church that we need to build. Our church is doing that. Some, sure, I'm sure are. But this powerful truth can change your life. And it, I think it helps you to be more humble because you see yourself as a servant. Jesus himself, the most powerful man that ever walked the planet, fully man, fully God, said this. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give. So you and me, our identities change when we accept this idea. We bust the myth that God's not there just to serve my needs. I exist to serve God. That's why I exist. And if you screw this up, that that God exists to serve you, then you think the church ought to just serve you. That's why they're there, to serve us. No. God exists so that we can serve him And we were created, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 10, it says that we were created, listen to this, we were created for good work. 
That's why we were created, you and me. Our design is divine. You and I have this divine rhythm that we're supposed to get in, and we will never get into that unless we embrace this reality. I exist to serve. And Jesus said, when you're serving them, what? You're serving me, he said. So what are we here for? What's our purpose? We exist to serve. God doesn't just serve us. Does God serve us? Yeah, he does. He serves us his grace. He serves us his mercy. We get forgiveness. We get a hope and we get a future. But the totality of it, that we exist to serve him. And we are our best when we accept that truth. Number two, I would say this church myth is this, is that church members are not customers, but partners in ministry. And notice I said church members. There is no member here who can embrace the idea that they are a customer or they won't stay very long. Every member at this church says, I love Jesus, I love this church, and I'm a partner in ministry. Let me tell you about partnership for a few minutes. That's why this church has done well. Because before we even got here, I asked about 100 families across the country, would you, would you partner with me financially to help start this church? And it was a little bit of a different model than many church plants uh, probably have. Um, I came out of a business background in education and did lots of ministry. I studied Campus Crusade for Christ and learned how they uh, raised finances and whatnot. We got 100 families to support us. I said, support us for at least five years, financially, monthly, whatever you can do. And that will enable us to get the church up and running. Most businesses will fail within the first five years. Most churches fail within the first three. 90% of churches that start fail. So I said, would you partner with us financially for five years? And for five years, guess what? None of our staff received a paycheck from the church because we had such a generous support base from out of state coming into state, into this state, to make sure that all the tithes and the offerings that were given went straight back into ministry. And so what is that? That was a partnership. Where did we get that? Well, if you look in Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, and he said, I thank God for your partnership with me in the gospel. See, partnership is different than customer service. Customers, If you're a customer, you're just like, it was a good message, which there's nothing wrong with that. Or it was a bad message. It doesn't meet my needs. It's not, I don't like it because it's not a part of the, it's not a great program for my kids. Well, guess what? If you jumped in and said, Pastor Ryan, I see the problems with the kids or the youth. What can we do to fix that? My first response is, you want to help? And if they say, no, I don't, you should just get a better program. And I say, I'm sorry, we're doing what we can. We just need some more help. Then guess what? The chances are those folks are just going to move down the road and find a better program. And, and that's okay. But that's not the membership base we're building here. We're building partnerships, not customers. And so together we can make a great impact. I mean, through COVID-19, uh, through, through this pandemic in 2020, I told you at the very beginning, while many churches are going to step back, we're going to step forward. It's going to be hard and we want to be safe and we want to be calculated, but we baptized more people in 2020 than we did in the years past. Uh, you guys were faithful financially. We were able to navigate through. I said to you, and I addressed the elder team, I said, look, I want to make a promise to our staff to alleviate any stress. Most churches were doing 40% layoffs, 20% layoffs, budget cuts, and all that. And I just said, hey, you know, worst comes to worst. We have a bunch of campus development money for, for land. But what if we just promise the staff right now and say, don't worry about your job, just work hard and be flexible. And if we need to spend out of that, we'll go to the church and tell them, this is what we're doing with the money. And tell you guys, we need to spend money on keeping people more than buying land. And so what was able to happen, we were able to do both. And so I want to thank you for that. Can we celebrate that just for a moment? 
We were able to help the, the Navajo Nation and partner there. We got a lot more work to do out there. We were able to help uh, show some love to the local police, the firefighters, the school teachers, the nurses in our community. We were able to do some stuff uh, with folks that were just on the street and some moms that were behind and lacked bills and needed some help. We were able to go to people's houses that had uh, just a, a lot of things that they needed fixing, and we got a CARES team to mobilize and go do that. Uh, we were able to continue to contribute our promise to Mexico and help build that house. And I've told you many times, and it was crazy by God's design and faith, that the name of the family in which we built the house was the Corona family. So crazy. And so um, it was just a, just a kind of a God's, I think, God's goodness resting over our church and saying, you do need to move forward in this time. Um, the church members are not customers. If you're new here, that's fine. Church shop. We'll roll out the red carpet. We want to serve with as much as we can to, to make sure this is a great fit for you. However, when you cross that line and say, I'm a partner in ministry with you, we expect you to shift that mentality to not just a customer, but now you have buy-in. You're, you're a part of the team. And so that's a shift I think the Apostle Paul made. I think it's what Gaius did in the church that John was applauding. You go the extra mile. He had a job. He's opening up his home. He's stretching himself out. He's being hospitable. He's an awesome person. And then uh, third, here we go. Third myth that needs to be busted is that the church staff exists. Why they exist? The church staff exists really to equip. I tell our staff, like, you're not here just to do everything. You're here to help others do it with you. It's taken out of the Ephesians passage when the Apostle Paul says that, hey, all these leadership gifts were given uh, teachers and pastors to equip saints, believers, for the work of ministry. And so the staff, if you're frustrated that you're not getting a good enough customer service from a staff member, then maybe you've missed it. Um, if you're a member, you should have a network of believers that serve one another. The staff serves too. We all exist to serve. But the word one another is the most popular word used in the New Testament. It's not just a hierarchy of the pastor and the priests and all that do all the service. I mean, that's what we had the Protestant Revolution for, to show that, that every member of the church is a minister of the gospel. We're all ministers, and we have equal platform and equal status, but the staff, they have a special role to equip, to do what? Jesus said, go be a light to the world around you. And so for what? For ministry. That's ministry in the local church. The apostle Peter said, if you got a gift, use it. And so, and Jesus says, you got, we have got to remember mission. Great commissions, go make disciples of all nations. That's particularly important, I think, for Arizona to think about the Indian uh, nations. Those are all sovereign nations. And, and so you say, well, I can't, I can't travel into all nations, but you could go there. We, we can financially contribute and we're partnering in missions. How, how do you become a great Christian? How do you become a great church? Very simple you, and very, very difficult. You commit yourself to the great commandments, love God, love neighbor as people, and then you commit yourself to the great commission. You're going to participate or contribute in local and global missions at some level. And so... I think of a, a gentleman by the name of Kevin Ross. I love this guy. He's running our sound right now. I put a lot of pressure on him during this uh, pandemic because our key guy, Nick McGriff, has been, had to step out. And then Kevin was his protege. And uh, Kevin uh, came to faith in Christ uh, in, in uh, years past and was baptized in our church. But Kevin's story is kind of cool because Kevin showed up at the church and he was like, uh, a couple steps behind his wife. His wife and his kids uh, got baptized in our church first. She's really the extrovert. He's more the introvert. Am I safe to say that? Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, Kevin was calculated and really was thinking about his faith. And, um, but you know what Kevin did? I said, Kevin, let's find a spot for you. We'll put you in the booth and nobody will hardly talk to you. You know, and you can help us, and, and you, got a protege, you got a trainer, mentor, Nick McGriff, and Nick was great and trained him. And then the pandemic hit, and 
he became the guy. So really, we ought to thank him, him and Matt Hansen back there, because they helped us get online. And our reach was wider than ever during this pandemic because we went online. You guys gave financially, huh? And then he was the technical skill to make sure it happened. It was a beautiful partnership. So let's thank Kevin. It was a partnership, and he was equipped, he was encouraged, he found his ministry, and he got with it. His wife, I, I don't know, I can, we can show you another picture of his wife, I got to tell this funny story. So just so you guys know, I had COVID-19 for about 10 days early on in the event, you know, in this whole experience, and I, it was a disaster. I emailed everybody and told them, sorry, I, I got it. If you were around me with an extra amount of time, you might want to get checked. That's how you wipe out church attendance, by the way. <laughs> for like weeks. And uh, so I'm sure everybody, Pastor Ryan got COVID, Pastor Ryan got... But I was up preaching the very next week from my house. And, uh, and uh, you know, I was grateful that I didn't have as bad. I tested negative in no time. And uh, I, 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 it, it didn't affect me the same way it affects others. And I understand it affects everybody different. However, I want to tell you this story. So I'm at Circle K. I get tested. I'm negative. So I like to stay, say this. This is my catchphrase that I robbed from a friend of mine. Stay positive in your head, but test negative. Uh, and I, it's important. And I'm a, I, I'm a germaphobic. And I, so I, I was cautious, right? Especially because I just had COVID. And so I see her at the uh, Circle K corner store on the 303 Sonoran whatever, and I see her, and I think it's her, but you know, when everybody wears masks, you have to do a double look. You're like, is that you, ninja girl over there? You know? And uh, she's got the mask on, I got the mask on, and I'm walking in, and I, I feel a little sheepish, like I'm trying to hide, like because I want to get the gigantic Thirst Buster Coke, and I'm going for my flaming Hot Cheetos, and, and it's like just the perfect COVID diet, post-COVID recovery, you know? So I got it, and... Uh, and she goes, she pulls down her mask and goes, Pastor Ryan, is that you? And I'm like, ah, you got me. And she goes, oh boy, you're getting one of me too. And then she goes, I'm buying your drink. I was like, man, I feel like I'm at a bar, but okay. So she, and then she goes, I'm giving you a hug too. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I just tested negative just so you know. She goes, I don't care. And she gave me a big hug. It was the first hug I'd had in months. I felt human. I felt great. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's something special to this ministry thing that we're all to be a part of. And um, his wife has got the, the ministry of hospitality and just caring and loving. And, and you have a ministry. Every single believer has a divine ministry that the Lord Jesus has said, I, I created him like that. Before he was even born or she was even born, I created him in such a special way that I hope, I hope they get it. I hope they take that opportunity and get it to click into motion. Because so many times we don't, and we don't think it's a big deal. But you know what we see? We see extraordinary impact when we take little steps of faith to get into that area of ministry or take that step of mission. And again, the church has been working, moving forward, because there's been a partnership and many of you have been encouraged and equipped to do an area of ministry and mission. Number four, I'll wrap up, is that church growth isn't about attractive programs, but it's actually about active people. The number one determiner of church growth worldwide is this. Do people just spontaneously invite their friends to come see what God's doing? That's it. That's, that's all it is. It's, it's not attractive programs. It's just people that are active in their faith. That's the ingredient for church growth from the first century to the Congos of Africa, to the to high flats in London. Like, it's just that. Are the people active in their faith? Do they live it out? That's the greatest testimony that you and I have is just, is it real to us? And then do we let that go beyond in here, but out here? And I, my concern is right now is that everybody's afraid to share. Everybody's afraid to, to, to really kind of engage their faith. And I would say, stop that. Just be Christian. Be thoroughly Christian. Be proud to be a Christian. Be proud to go to church. And I get it. I mean, I invite people to church publicly, and, and I'll get some mean messages. 
Like, hey, we're gathering for Christmas service, super spreader. <laughs> I'm like, I like this hide button. He hide. Um, why, do we, why should we invite people to church? Suicide's at an all-time high. People are depressed. I've had folks in our first service who said I hadn't been to church in five and a half months, six months. I hadn't left my house in four or five months. And our whole Christianity is wrapped around this idea of faith. And I don't want to belittle anything right now. You run the risk of getting a higher probability by being here at church to COVID-19. You do. It's statistical. But you're here, I believe, because you say, my faith is more important. I want to move forward. I got to keep going. I got to get my kids moving forward. If I get it, I get it. I'm going forward. And so you and me, we have a responsibility. We've got to be active people. Don't depend on the church to make the slick, attractive programs. We don't have the budget to do that anyway. But we could do this. Challenge our congregation is you can go a little further. If I was a football coach, which I'd probably be a terrible football coach, but if I was a football coach, I'd be yelling at all of those players just to go a little further, to give it a little more. No pain, no what. So if all you do is fancy up your Christianity to say, well, I want it comfortable. I like the country club. That's not the Jesus way. Like our Messiah, our leader got crucified. And in the process was the kindest, most gentlest person to say, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. So that's our example. That's our model. And if there's no pain in our Life, I would say, I'm not asking you to to try to invite pain into your life because we, you and I know we got enough of that. But I am saying, even the Apostle Paul, when he was called by God, this is what the Lord said to help verify that he was called by God. He said, this is my apostle. This is my man, Paul, whom I'm going to show him how much he's got to suffer. See, suffering is sometimes the greatest megaphone for, for our voice. Because anybody can be happy and do good when everything's going great, but can we be at peace with our soul when things are not going good? That's the test. That's the mark. And so active people in a pandemic, you're, you're not blasting. You're not uh, in the political tensions that we're in. You're not... Uh, uh, cutting people out of your life. And I talked about that last week. You, you've got to figure out how to build bridges in a time like now. You've got to figure out how to show and share the love of Jesus Christ in a way that's winsome and truthful all at the same time. I had a youth leader who uh, told me that his tactic and his ministry style was that he'd like to, in a sense, he'd love to share truth so much that it would challenge the, the teenagers to almost hate them, but then he would love them so much that they just couldn't get away from them. And he said, it's kind of like this. I wrap my arm around a kid and give him a tight hug and then boom, give him a punch in the gut. I'm like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. You'd probably get kicked out of the church. But here's the point is our faith needs to be active. I think it is. I've got some research here on churches right now, less than or 3,500 churches this year are going to close their doors uh, in our country. And we've already got a number of churches that we're connected with. We know that they're closing their doors. This church has kind of been a funnel for gear and, and goods of churches that have closed their door. When we went and started this church, I had a team of people. We all went out to start a church at the same time. And those churches don't exist anymore. And for God's good purposes, this church does. And I would credit it perhaps more towards you all in your faithfulness and accepting the challenge and saying, I don't, I'm not just a customer. I'm not just a client. I'm a partner. And so this church ought to be here for your kids and their kids and those kids. Till Jesus returns, this church ought to be here. And so here's the, just the latest challenge I want to challenge you to do is I want to challenge you to put it into practice, and let's serve together. We, I'll show you a highlight of some baptisms. We've baptized so many people, and uh, your service is greatly needed. 
I think people were thrilled to come back to church in so many ways. And we saw such a response in 2020 when other churches didn't see anything. We saw something pretty special. And it got us fired up as a staff like, yes, this is good. And so when you're giving, you're partnering. When you're serving, you're partnering. And it's just a cool experience to see these folks do this. I mean, there, there is the next Kevin Ross out there already, just waiting to be engaged. And so I want to challenge you to do that. Here's a practical reality of kind of where we're at. Uh, we launched three services and uh, our first service is a mask only service. And we tried to try to be all things to all people. And uh, we have a second service. It's, it's pretty full, about as full as a COVID crowd would want. And uh, then we've got a third service, and it's a little lighter. And here, here's my challenge to you, just having a family business conversation in, in God's church um, as one of the managers here, is that if we want to keep those, then I've challenged the first service. I've said to them, if you want to keep this because it's your, you love this service, then you need to invite your friends. I'm challenging you. Because it, there's not a ton of folks there. I mean, it's, it's, it's good. We're glad. However, it takes a lot of time, money, and energy to run church services. And so uh, it's hard on the volunteers. These folks, many of them show up at six. They don't leave today. They won't leave till three or four. And so it's a big deal. It's a big investment. So I challenge the first service. If you love this service, start inviting your friends. I'll give you to the month of February. And if you don't want to invite your friends, I'll just take it as you didn't really want the, the church, that church service. And if it doesn't work, then, and in the third service, I'm going to say the same thing. If you want this to work, you need to be inviting your friends. So you're asking me, so what can I do? Here's what you could do. You need to go serve at the first service or the third service and wear a mask at the first service. If you, you're like, I ain't wearing no mask, no wig, nope. It's my constitutional right. I know it. Don't you dare interfere. I don't care. So fine, serve at the third service. That's fine. I got plenty of you friends on that side of the fence. That's fine. Those of you that, you know what? I like the Apostle Paul's word, all things to all people. I'll wear a mask. Wear the mask and serve. Just help people. That's how we can do it right now. Or don't do anything, okay? Don't do anything. Just do, be you. That's the casino advertisement. Just be you, baby. Now they got masks on at the casino advertisement. That's funny. Uh, so just be you. Don't invite anybody. And we'll just go back to two services. And some of you are like, yeah, let's do that. But I think what would best serve people in this time is creating options. And so will you pray with me on that? about doing that, jumping in and maybe serving and sticking around at a second service and go, hey, I'll, I'll serve the third service because I don't like wearing a mask. Or you know what? I'll wear the mask and I'll show up early. I'll serve the first and, and then I'll, I'll stay for the second. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your church. It's a great joy and honor to serve. It's really cool, Lord, to see all these folks that have given their time and their money and their efforts. Lord, to serve others, to make this church great. And uh, we pray that it would continue to be great. And uh, we know that uh, you call us to be more than a customer in Christianity and in the church. You call us to be partners. And so, Lord, we'll accept that partnership today. And for those of us, Lord, that really don't know how we could make a significant difference in the area of ministry or missions, Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, who is the consultant that can really guide in that moment. I pray that they would just talk to you today, Holy Spirit, and just say, I need a little help to understand exactly where be a good fit for me. But Father, fill them with faith and remove their fears and great, give them great courage to be the, the voice and the light that you call them to be in this generation and this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.